Today is Thursday, April 23rd. It is great to be with you once again. What a joy and what a blessing it is for us to be gathered together in God's Word and in His Spirit, where we can be reminded of truths that so often feel elusive or our faith can be strengthened in promises that can feel uncertain in these times of trial. So as we prepare our hearts and our minds for this time in God's Word, let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you have promised to be with us always, with us even to the very end of the age. Mercifully watch over us and all those we love as we live separated from one another by the circumstances of this pandemic. Protect us all in this time of danger and trial. Teach us to know that in communion of your holy church, you are always near. And that even when we, your people, feel separated from one another, that we are ever one in you. Amen. Indeed, Christ is always with us, and we are ever joined together. We have many reasons to rejoice in our God. So let us join all of creation in singing praise of our Creator. Let us join one another in singing the name of our Redeemer. There is a link to a PDF of song lyrics below this podcast. Feel free to pause here and access that lyric sheet and then join in singing from all that dwell below the skies.
As we sung in that hymn, Eternal Truth Attends Thy Word. That is why we are here. And today we will be taking a look at Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Let's listen in now to Professor Steve Parks. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Heavenly Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. My dear friends, it seems that just about every time we experience a disaster, there's the same series of questions that seems to be on the lips of just about everyone. And foremost is the question of why. Why do such things happen? I remember when the tragic events of September 11th back in 2001s unfolded on our television screens. Everybody wanted to know why. And the same, too, uh, also when we had the, the devastating hurricane, Hurricane Katrina, hit New Orleans. And so it's also true today with the pandemic keeping us locked away in our homes. And as frequently happens in times of crises, people are turning to the Christian church for answers. Why do people suffer in such terrible ways? Why does God allow these things to happen? And of course, there are always people who will pop off with some ill-advised comment. And so Jerry Falwell, for example, told the world that New York deserved to suffer the attacks on 9-11 because of their widespread toleration of moral evil. Recently, Pat Robertson suggested that the same was true of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. And many are suggesting that the coronavirus is uh, likewise basically a punishment from God. In this morning's Gospel reading, Jesus addresses claims like these. So our lesson is from Luke chapter 13, the first five verses, where Jesus is presented with a current event, no doubt brought to the people by pilgrims returning from Jerusalem. Here's the text. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all those others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you likewise will all perish. So, what exactly do we have going on here? There was a revolt which took place among the Jewish people against the Roman government at that time. And in fact, these kinds of riots were pretty common because the Jews really sort of saw the Romans as foreigners in the land a land that was promised to them and to their father, Abraham. And since they believed that the land of Israel rightly belonged to them, by divine right, there was this steady stream of agitators among the people who would stir up sedition against the Romans. And one such rebellion took place in the Jewish temple. And Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor there, he dispatches some Roman soldiers to immediately put a stop to it, and they did so by using the power of the sword, killing the rebels where they stood, and it so happened that their own human blood mixed with the blood of the animal sacrifices offered to God. Now, for Jews, I'd imagine few could kind of even invent a worse fate. Being put to death by the pagan Romans, being killed in the one place that they fell safest, the temple of God, and having their own blood mingled with the blood of these animal sacrifices. And so, just as the Falwells and the Robertsons of the world do today, these people related the story to others. 
indicating that those who met this untimely death must have done something terrible to bring such a swift and decisive end upon themselves. But Jesus addresses this kind of thinking in his response to the news that Pilate had put to death these certain rebellious Jews in the temple reorients people from thinking about others to thinking instead about themselves, from considering the sins of others to instead considering their own sins. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, Jesus says, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed, do you think that they were worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Ouch. <laughs> Here Jesus crushes the self-righteousness out of them. You think they're worse sinners because of what happened to them? Unless you repent, you will likewise perish, Jesus tells his listeners. And in case they didn't get the message, Jesus throws in yet another current event. You think those people who were crushed by that tower in Siloam, you think that they were worse sinners because of what happened to them? No, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And so here Jesus demolishes any sense of self-righteousness, and he puts us all on an equal playing field. It's not just the New Yorks or the New Orleans of the worlds that need to worry about their standing before God. The people who were killed by Pilate's soldiers were sinners, and unless they repented, they'll not only have perished physically, but eternally as well. The people who were crushed by the tower in Siloam were sinners, and unless they repented, they will not only have perished physically, but eternally as well. And so also we are sinners. And unless we repent, we will not only perish physically, but eternally as well. And so we ought not to stand as moral superiors, sort of wagging our fingers at others, but instead, national and even global tragedies give us an opportunity to reflect upon our own sin, upon our own standing before God, and upon our own need for repentance. Which, of course, brings us to the question, what is repentance? Ask most people, and they'll tell you it's got something to do with moral behavior. I used to do this or that bad thing, but I don't anymore. I've repented. Uh, I didn't used to do this or that good thing, but I do now. I've repented. And while those may describe the fruit of repentance, biblical repentance really means a change in mind. And in fact, that's what the Greek word for repentance, metanoia, literally means, to turn around. When the Bible uses the word repent, it essentially means a U-turn in heart and mind. I used to seek to justify my sin, to excuse it or explain it away. Now I've done a mental U-turn and I agree with God that it's sin worthy of judgment. But I don't stop there. I likewise believe in Christ. That's part and parcel of true biblical repentance. While I agree with God that my sin is worthy of judgment, I likewise agree with God that my sin is forgiven in Christ. I trust that Jesus has borne the punishment for my sin. Now, as sinners, the rebellious Jews did deserve to perish, and as a sinner, so do I. I deserve to have my blood mingled with the blood of the sacrifices. I deserve to have my life crushed out of me by the tower in Siloam. I agree with that. 
this is what the Falwells and the Robertsons of the world actually miss. They believe that fates like these are deserved only by others, not by themselves, or at least seemingly. But see, we all deserve a terrible fate. I agree that not only am I a sinner, but most importantly, I likewise agree that in his great love and mercy, God sent us a savior, Jesus. Christ has borne the penalty for our sins. Christ has suffered and died in our place. His blood was not merely mingled with the sacrifices for sin, but his holy veins were open and the crimson tide of his precious blood is the sacrifice for our sin. So the Apostle John has said the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. By his sacrificial blood, we've been cleansed from sin. At the cross, our Savior allows the tower of God's wrath against sin to come crashing down upon him, crushing the life out of him in order that it not crush us, in order that we may be spared. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. See, Christ has stilled God's wrath against our sin because he's borne it for us in our place, and he's borne it in its entirety. So do your sins trouble you? Know that they've been dealt with. They've been washed away. You're purified by the shed blood of Jesus. Does the wrath of God frighten you? Know that his wrath has been silenced in Christ, who bore it in your place. God's heart toward you is changed because of Jesus. You don't have a wrathful and angry avenger hovering over you. You have a loving, gracious, and merciful Heavenly Father who watches over you and who gladly gives you the kingdom. So repent, believe in Christ, agree with God that your sin deserves judgment, but likewise joyfully rest in the confidence that Jesus has borne that punishment on the cross. In Christ, your sin is atoned for. In Christ, your debt to God is paid in full. In Christ, you're free. In Christ, your heavenly Father is reconciled to you and your relationship with him is restored anew. In Christ, by his sacrificial blood, in his tower of wrath-bearing sin, you are forgiven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we acknowledge your great goodness toward us and praise you for your mercy and grace. Indeed, we are sinners, too often ready to speak judgment on others while excusing or explaining away our own grievous sin. We sincerely repent of our sins of this day and those in the past. Look not upon our sin, but instead upon your Son, Jesus, whose blood was shed for our atonement, who was crushed for our iniquity. Pardon our offenses, correct and reform what is lacking in us, and help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that our lives may reflect the righteousness and light of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue in that prayer as we sing together, Renew Me, O Eternal Light.
As always, it has been a joy to be with you today, and I look forward to tomorrow when we can do this again. Until then, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen.